Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hello, and welcome to the American Patchwork and Quilting Podcast. I'm Lindsay Mayland, and I'm so excited to be here with you. I'm incredibly happy to share today's episode and have been really looking forward to it for a long time. Uh, Today, we are spilling unpopular quilty opinions, both from our staff and our listeners, and they're so good. So here's the thing about unpopular quilty opinions. We're never alone in them, even if we sometimes think we are. As I was reading over emails from our listeners and hearing our staff stories, I found myself uh, laughing out loud, I was totally relating to some, and a few were things I had never thought about before and they really made me think. So I hope this episode brings the same sort of feelings for you too. There is no right or wrong here, um, and we're not adding any commentary. It's just for fun, and I just love hearing from so many different voices in the quilting world. I'm going to turn it over to some of our staff first, so let's listen in. I'm Jody Sanders, editor of American Patchwork and Quilting, and my unpopular opinion is that I don't pre-wash my fabrics. Now, I recognize this is a controversial statement. I make mostly small quilts with lots of pieces, and I like the look of a quilt once it is washed and dried and it crinkles a little bit. And I don't get that same effect when I use pre-washed fabrics. Now, I know there are good reasons for pre-washing. For example, if you're using flannel and a quilting cotton in the same quilt, you should pre-wash since those fabrics shrink at a different rate and it could damage the stitches in the completed quilt once it's laundered. And if you have allergies, pre-washing fabric and getting the finish off of the fabrics before you sew with it is also a good idea. There's also the argument for pre-washing to check for color fastness, particularly with reds, blues, and purples. But I really haven't had problems with current fabrics bleeding, and I always add a color catcher when laundering my quilts. I buy a lot of fabric and also pre-cuts, and I would spend a lot of time laundering and ironing and trimming when I would rather be spending time sewing. So that's the main reason I have my unpopular opinion where I don't pre-wash my fabrics. Hi, I'm Allison. Whenever I get started on a project, I typically look for fabrics in my stash first before going out shopping for something new. I like to get a feel for what types of colors and prints play well together for the pattern that I've selected. Once I find a combination that I like, I get so excited to start making that I just dive right in with fabrics from my stash. However, when I'm out shopping for fabric that I have no plans for, I don't tend to buy a lot because I don't want to be wasteful. So by pulling from my stash, I should just learn that I probably won't have enough for the pattern, but that hasn't stopped me yet. 
Eventually, I end up needing to make a trip or two to my local quilt shop to buy similar fabric to what I've already used for my stash. I don't try to match them exactly and find the particular print, but I make sure that the prints and colors still work together, and then I end up with a scrappy finished product. In a way, this is kind of a fun process because I can make sure that I'm still using what's in my stash and also challenging myself to find new coordinates. This isn't the process I go through with all of my projects, but it does happen pretty often. <laughs> I've made plenty of scrappy quilts in this manner, and I don't think you'd ever know that some fabrics came from my stash and others came fresh from the store. Hi, I'm Elizabeth. One thing that I think makes me a bit of an anomaly as a quilter is that I don't own a large fabric stash, nor do I want to curate one. Now, this always sounds like a bit of a blasphemy when I actually say it out loud to other quilters. You see, when I first started quilting, I thought that working up to owning a large fabric stash was a goal that every quilter needed to have. You know, that it meant that you were, quote unquote, finally a real quilter if you owned a large fabric stash. And for many years, I even felt a little bit of an embarrassment and shame to admit that I didn't have a large fabric collection. I even felt sometimes pressured to purchase fabrics that I didn't really need just to have them come home and sit in my closet. However, after a couple of years, I actually started to find freedom in not owning a large fabric stash and I began to change my purchasing habits. You see, my current fabric stash, if you can even really call it one, all fits in a medium-sized storage bin. Yep, just one bin. Now, one of the reasons that I don't really want a large fabric stash is that I enjoy a variety of hobbies in addition to quilting. I have a small home office slash craft room, which I absolutely love, but it is definitely a room that needs to serve multiple functions. It's also an older home, so I have really tiny closets, which can make storing fabric a bit of a challenge. These storage restraints help just me to rein in my fabric purchases to only bring home those fabrics that I absolutely love and know will use someday. I can also see at a quick glance the fabrics I do own, which helps to prevent me from accidentally buying the same fabrics twice or forgetting what I already own. Having a small stash um, also helps me to keep it all really organized and it's just super simple. I have a pretty ruthless system when it comes to saving scraps and leftover fabrics. If I have any leftover fabrics that I don't think I'll end up using, I will simply pass it along to friends or family instead of hanging on to it. Now, the downside to this is that, you know, since I don't have a fabric stash, it is really difficult for me to make any scrappy quilts. But, you know, I'm okay with that because I can just admire other scrappy quilts that other quilters make and just enjoy their beauty. The second reason that I don't want to own a large fabric stash is that I find it to be less stressful personally. I'm a planner by nature, so I find that if I, it actually used to cause me stress and not pleasure to purchase fabrics without a plan for how or when I was going to use that fabric. I would almost get this like project paralysis when I was faced with too many options. So having a smaller fabric stash doesn't mean I never buy fabrics. That is definitely not the case. It just means that now when I go shopping, I go shopping with a purpose 
to purchase fabrics for a specific project that I want to start. I start with the pattern first and I stick to that materials list. You know, I'm not always perfect though and I have to admit that the occasional fat quarter that catches my eye does sometimes make it way into my shopping basket and find its way into my small stash. But if that's the case, then I know I absolutely love that fabric and I will find a way to use it. This is Doris, editor of Quilt Sampler magazine. An unpopular opinion I have regarding quilting might be classified as more of a poor habit. It goes against any advice we give in our magazines or on the website. But when I pull fabric from my stash or scrap bin to start a new project, I tend to jump right into cutting the fabric and ignore the step of ironing it first. Unless it's incredibly wrinkled, I don't bother because I'm going to press it as I piece. In my opinion, this is just fine. It is part laziness and part enthusiasm to just get to putting my project together sooner. It's resulted in with the fabric strips with a slight bend in the center or pieces that aren't quite straight of grain, but so far it hasn't caused me any great trouble. That said, you really should iron your fabric before you start cutting. Hi, I'm Joanna, the editor of Quilts and More magazine, and my unpopular quilty opinion is I don't spend that much time worrying about contrast in my quilts. What I mean by that is you often hear the advice that when you're picking fabrics for a quilt, you should look for a mix of light, medium, and dark colors, and you should also look for a mix of scale. So small scale prints, medium scale prints, and large scale prints. When I first started quilting, I kind of obsessively worried about this. There are times where if you don't get a good mix, your quilt can look um, a little muddy in a way, like the colors just don't pop. And I was so scared that was gonna happen I would spend hours in the store pulling out different fabrics and trying to make sure that I had like the best possible combination of light, medium, and dark, small, medium, and large. And it just kind of took the fun out of it. And what I realized over time as I would clean out my fabric stash was that whenever I was buying something not for a project, just to add to the stash, I picked out almost the same things. I picked out purple, aqua, blue, sage green, dusty pink, because those are my favorite colors, and they were usually all medium tones. Once in a while, I'd get a lighter one, but for the most part, they were all kind of in the same spectrum of where they would fall in terms of tone. And the other thing I noticed was I mostly bought small prints, small to medium. Part of that was because I sew a lot of small objects and usually those require smaller prints. You just won't get the full repeat of a large scale print on one of those projects. But as I was pulling things from my stash for quilts, more and more what was happening was I was pulling lots of medium prints. And eventually I hit a point where I would stare at the arrangement of colors and love it because they were all my favorites. And I thought, you know what, I'm just going to quilt this. It's fine. I'll cut it up. I'll still have a little bit of contrast. I don't want to give the impression that contrast doesn't matter. It does. It makes your finished quilt really striking to have good contrast in it. But the obsessing over it was taking the fun out of my hobby. So usually what will happen is I'll take a medium tone, lots of medium tones, and I will pair them with 
white or a cream, something that's really light, so I still get some contrast. Um, one thing I like about not having tons and tons of contrast in my quilt is the finished product is very soothing. So when I put it in my room, I find it just blends really nicely. So anyway, over time, that's my unpopular opinion. I've learned that I'm not that concerned with having a lot of variety and contrast, and that's okay because I love my finished quilts and I love how they look in the room and I love using them and I have fun making them. So I'm very much a less stress, more fun kind of quilter. Hey, it's back to me, Lindsay. So I get to share my unpopular quilty opinion now. Um, and mine is that I don't move my table toppers out of the way to eat. So I set plates of food, drinks, serving bowls, everything just right on top of them. And I just expect there to be spills. And I do wash my table toppers periodically. Sometimes the stains come out, sometimes they don't. Um, and eventually a table topper may just get so worn down or so stained that I will just throw it away. And then I have an excuse to make a brand new one. So I grew up in a family that always removed the placemats from the table before we ate. Um, and I know many people would be just aghast to see me drip wine or crumbs on a quilt, um, but it's just not that big of a deal to me. Table toppers are a fun project for me. They uh, usually only take a few days to make, um, and it gives me a chance to, to try out some new patterns or blocks or fabric combos that I'm excited about. Um, so it's not a big commitment, and sometimes it's nice to just have a small project in between larger quilts. So I don't mind having an excuse to make a new table topper. <laughs> And now I'm excited to share some unpopular opinions we had submitted by our listeners. So Patty says, My unpopular opinion is that I don't like heavy quilting for bed quilts. When it is going on a wall or a table, I love the movement and secondary patterns that quilting can make. But if it's going on a bed, I quilt about as far apart as my batting will allow so the finished product will be cozy and drape easily. Laurel Fletchner says, Machine binding is better than hand binding. Betty Hunt Hughes says, I'm not a fan of the feather quilting design. Stacy Ross says, I'm a fairly new quilter, but it turns out I do have a strong opinion or two. I hate the look of batik fabric. I know some people go nuts for it, and my local quilting store proudly devotes an entire wall display to it, but I walk right on by. It doesn't appeal to me at all. On the flip side, I can't get enough of plaids, florals, and tiny polka dots. I also don't like sampler or block of the month quilts. They seem too random and untidy to me. And I have no interest in participating in a sewing retreat. As much as I enjoy hanging out with and talking to other quilters, I hate the idea of hauling all of my sewing gear out of my comfortable and convenient sewing space to work somewhere else, less efficiently and less comfortably. Luann Holst says, I loathe pre-cuts. 
They are never the advertised size, and one brand is never the same as the other. The pinked edges throw lint everywhere. Beth Kerr Hafter says, Quilted clothing, just no. It immediately adds 20 years to the wearer. Our friends at Modern Quilt Studio said, Very unpopular opinion. I've never seen a quilt improved by stitch in the ditch. I've considered setting up a hotline for anyone considering stitch in the ditch because there's always a more interesting choice. Maria Murphy says, I do not wish to join a quilt guild. I have never wished to do so. I cannot envision doing so in the future, even though I am newly retired. I am a quilter with over 25 years experience. I love learning and will take classes, but I'm not interested in meetings and committees and drama. Patricia Herschel says, I shudder at the saying, better done than perfect. There is a lot of time and money into making a quilt. To rush and sacrifice your work seems a useless undertaking. I strive with every piece to get a bit better and do my best work. Nan Blaine Hillard says, Many quilters are horrified at the idea of using bed sheets as backing. I use them often and with great success. I bought buy all cotton print sheets at thrift stores. They are not high count. Laura Ashley and Ralph Lauren brands are excellent. What's not what's not to like about eight yards of fabric for $4.99? And Karen Lastly Thomas says, I don't like unwashed quilts. I always wash my quilts when finished. Aside from dirt, hand oils, marking pens, an unwashed quilt lacks the true quilt character and dimension of a beautiful, slightly puckered, cozy quilt. If someone gifted me with an unwashed quilt, I would immediately wash it. Phew, so I could read unpopular quilty opinions all day. They're so fun. And I hope you enjoyed hearing all of these that we shared today. So these type of podcast episodes are so fun and we wanted to tell you about an upcoming one where we need more listener help. In early November, we're doing a podcast called Your Best Sewing Hacks. So we did one of these about a year ago, if you remember it, and it was so popular. Our listeners shared just the most amazing tips and tricks about quilting, and I learned so much from that episode. So we wanted to do it again. So if you have a sewing hack you want to share with other quilters, email us at apqpodcast at meredith.com. The email is in our show notes. I can't wait to hear from you. We have to take a quick ad break, but when we come back, we're sharing a quilting trend we're loving, and our art director shares what's on her workspace. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back. 
I'm handing the mic over to Jody Sanders, the editor of American Patchwork and Quilting Magazine, for What's Trending on Instagram, where we look at some fun trends popping up on social media. Take it away, Jody. One of the trends that I'm seeing on Instagram right now is the use of neutral color palettes, or kind of tone-on-tone tone when working with wool applique. A few years ago, wool applique was primarily done with dark colors like navy, crimson, and forest green. Then we saw brighter colors such as fuchsia, aqua, and lime green. Lately, I've been seeing designers use neutrals such as cream, tan, soft gray, and black in their wool work. Maybe the farmhouse style decorating trend has influenced the use of these colors, or perhaps the use of low volume prints that we see in pieced patchwork has crossed over into wool applique. In addition to neutral fabric, the threads and flosses used to embellish the appliques are also in these same tones, creating a sophisticated layering instead of contrasting colors that we saw used in the last few years. I'm also noticing that wool is mixed with linen, cotton, and flannel. And most of the time, the wool is used for the applique shapes that are hand-stitched atop a foundation square from the other fabric types. This adds another layer of texture and dimension. If you haven't tried wool applique, it's very forgiving. Typically, the edges are felted and they don't fray, so you don't have to turn under the edges. It's portable and it's a great way to relax and stitch in front of the television or while waiting for an appointment. You can look up hashtags wool applique or hand dyed wool to see inspiration for this type of quilting. Thanks so much, Jody. I love neutral colors and actually just finished redoing my kitchen and dining room to be a little bit more farmhouse style, so I may need to check out some of these wool projects and see what I can make for myself. Now I'm handing the mic over to Elizabeth Stembo, the art director of American Patchwork and Quilting, for What's on Your Workspace, a segment where our staff shares what they're working on now. Take it away, Elizabeth. I actually spent part of this summer getting a jump start making handmade holiday presents for my friends and coworkers, which just feels like such a huge accomplishment because I usually don't start thinking about gift giving until November, and then I'm always scrambling to make those last minute handmade gifts. While I was working on these projects, it reminded me to pick up a UFO project that I actually started last winter. And when I was putting up my holiday decor last year, I realized that I didn't actually own a holiday quilt for myself. So I started to cut out this project last winter, um, and I found this pattern called Pony Express from Missouri Star that uses flying geese units to create star blocks. And I found a fabric line from Gingerbur for Moda Fabrics in reds, greens, grays, and soft browns that will coordinate perfectly with my existing holiday decor. Now, I haven't really touched this since last winter, so I got that project out of my closet and I started looking it over again. And 
Thankfully, I had organized everything after I had cut them all out. So I was able to pick it right back up and I've begun sewing those uh, flying geese units together. And thankfully, I have a quilt retreat coming up in early October with my family. So I am hoping to finish the rest of the quilt top at the retreat and then I can get it sent off to my quilter. Now, if everything goes as planned, I hope to have it back just in time to get the soap binding sewn on while watching some of my favorite holiday movies. Thanks so much, Elizabeth. I think many of us probably have a holiday project or two on our workspaces right now. Uh, I know I am guilty of that. <laughs> we have to take a quick ad break, but when we come back, we're sharing a few amazing ways quilters are helping their communities, plus some organization products you can find at the flea market. Welcome back. I'm handing the mic over to Allison Gam, the designer of Quilts and More, for Quilting Changes Everything, a segment where we share stories of quilters making a difference in their communities. Take it away, Allison. My first story today comes from Canada. Quilters from around the world have been sending quilts and quilt blocks to be donated to survivors of Canada's residential schools. Earlier this year, when news came out about 215 Indigenous children being recovered from unmarked graves at a former residential school in British Columbia, Vanessa Grenier wondered what she could do to help. Vanessa is a Missanabe Cree First Nation member who has been quilting for over 30 years. She created the Facebook group Quilts for Survivors in June and it has really taken off. Within a few weeks, she had people from all over the world sending her blocks, fabric, supplies, and more. So far, Vanessa has received over 250 blocks and has shipped several quilts to Ontario and British Columbia. Her goal is to send quilts to every province. Vanessa sends a letter along with each quilt that she donates, along with a poem written by a Timmins resident. The response that I'm getting is amazing, said Vanessa. It gives a good sense of pride and I'm honored to work with these quilters from all over to help the survivors. If possible, Vanessa tries to include orange somewhere in the quilts since it's the color of the Every Child Matters campaign. She also takes the extra step of smudging the quilt tops to take away the negativity and send them off with positive vibes. I can't go to every First Nation that has survivors and comfort them, she said, but by sending a quilt, it's like sending a hug. And this hug isn't just for me, it's from all over. It's from all these people supporting survivors on their journey, wherever they are in that journey. Every time Vanessa receives a package from a quilter, she shares it in the Facebook group to keep her members informed. She said it's as much their project as it is hers. She's just the organizer. If you want to find out more about Vanessa's project and how you can help, you can visit the group's Facebook page, Quilts for Survivors. This next story comes from Kentucky. A group of women from St. Luke Church in Central Kentucky have made a handful of quilts that they hope never really get used. Earlier this year, a Kentucky law was put into place that allows individuals to leave newborns safely and anonymously at participating fire stations within 30 days of giving birth. 
When a baby is placed in the box, first responders are alerted by an alarm system so they know a child is available to be taken to a local hospital where Child Protective Services will then take over. When this group of women heard about the new law, they started making blankets for the Safe Haven Baby Box located at the Oklahoma Fire Protection District Station. The blankets serve as a keepsake for the baby that is placed in the box. The child will be able to grow up with the blanket knowing that somebody cared. The whole process is a very bittersweet, but the women of St. Luke's are glad they're able to make a difference. You can't imagine being in that woman's position at that time, said Mary Leitner, a member of the sewing group. You don't know what they're going through. Everybody has a story. Tina Soul, another member of the group, said that this project hits close to home. I was an unwed mother and it was pretty tough. By the grace of God, my parents were there for me. God always brings great good out of decisions you make that you're not mature enough for. He sees the big picture. Since the box was installed at the Oklahoma Fire Station on July 1st, not a single baby has been surrendered. The sewing group takes comfort in knowing that when a baby is surrendered, a handmade blanket will be waiting for them. If you want to learn more about Safe Haven Baby Boxes and possibly make donations of your own, you can visit shbb.org. Thanks so much, Allison. We'll link to both of these organizations in our show notes so you can help if you're feeling inspired. Now it's time for Get Organized, a segment where we share simple ideas for organizing your sewing space. It's flea market and rummage sale season, uh, so I wanted to share a few items to look for on your next thrifting trip that you can use in your sewing room as storage. I love the unique look that comes from using vintage items in your sewing space, and many of these items can be cleaned um, to be restored to their natural beauty if you like that look better, or they can even be painted a fun color to match your space. One item to look for is a tiered server, which usually has two or three levels of little round shelves um, that you might set cupcakes or small desserts on. The level at the bottom is the largest and they slowly get smaller as you go up. You can fill this server with colorful spools of floss, tiny jars of buttons, and other quilter eye candy, maybe even pin cushions if you have a collection. Keep an eye out for vintage magazines or sewing patterns. Some have really amazing artwork inside, and they can even be grouped or framed on your wall. Vintage bins, baskets, glasses, jars, dishes, toolboxes, cubby holes, or even milk carriers can hold fabric or small tools and they look beautiful displayed on a shelf. You can even place smaller dishes in a drawer to separate tools and keep smaller items from rolling around as you open and close the drawer. And you don't always need to use these items as they were intended um, and standing upright, so if it works better to turn a piece on its side, go for it. Old doorknobs or metal hooks can be mounted on a painted piece of wood that can then be hung on a wall. 
and you can use these to uh, hold acrylic rulers or other tools that have the holes uh, through them. You can tie ribbons through the holes to help hang on to maybe larger hooks or doorknobs if you need to. You can even add strong magnets, um, Velcro strips, or maybe even strong tape to the backs of the doorknobs and hooks and add them to the sides of tables or bookcases to hold items close at hand. Antique bobbins are fun to look for. So unlike today's bobbins, these were used in old factories and they can be large, um, sometimes up to a foot long. And you can wrap binding or ribbon and rickrack around them, um, or you can get creative and store your scissors point first in the center openings. Test tubes and beakers are a really interesting way to store buttons and beads. And if you come across sections of wire racks, uh, maybe like those used in grocery stores, you can create a little cute reading nook to hold your books and patterns, or even add some small baskets to hold notions or pre-cut fabrics. Older furniture like cabinets and hutches are beautiful places to store fabric and finished quilts. Of course, these are just a few ideas. There are so many fun things you can find while at the flea market. So try to look at things with a fresh eye and see if you think they'd have a useful home in your sewing room. Buy items you'll love and that make you happy and that you want to put on display. And take care to clean things um, or to protect your sewing items uh, from anything before using it. So for example, old paint or stain can leach onto fabrics. So consider keeping fabric in bins or containers to keep them from touching the wood or maybe lay down some shelf liners. We hope some of these ideas inspire you uh, and we have some visuals to share of a sewing space that puts some vintage items to good use. So visit our show notes to check it out and see some of those pictures. And that's it for today's show. Before we leave, we wanted to share a review of the podcast we got recently that we love. This review is from Needlework Nerd. They said, Listening to this podcast led me to subscribe to American Patchwork and Quilting Magazine. I'd never have done so if I hadn't first discovered the podcast. The friendly hosts and the tips and information they share are fun to listen to while I'm sewing. Wow, that's so amazing. And of course, we love hearing that you subscribe to the magazine too. Uh, that just means so much to us. So if this review is yours, we'd love to send uh, you a little gift. So if you could email us at apqpodcast at meredith.com, which is listed in our show notes, um, we will communicate and get that little gift out to you. And of course, if you love this show, please leave us a review we may feature yours on an upcoming show. Everyone have a great week.